All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he's thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me, because what I've, I've found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. Or what woman, if she owns 10 silver coins and loses one of them, won't light a lamp and sweep the house, search, searching her home carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Celebrate with me, because I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. May this be to us the fertile word. Hello and welcome to the Lectio Cascadia podcast. My name is Brandon Rhodes, and I'm glad you're listening. Thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for the music. So Jesus' stories are they're just so damn strange. So damn strange. They have echoes and hints of all kinds of weird stuff and piles of meaning to them um, from like other parts of the story. That's the fun thing about stories and about one genre of story uh, parables in particular. They're like a, a kaleidoscope. You hold these things up to light and turn and turn and turn them. And you find new things, new patterns of uh, beauty and connection. I want to try a bit of that today uh, with this story and double parable, uh, if you're okay with that. As, as I've thought about this text, about those of you that I know a bit of the story of, uh, I found the pieces in this kaleidoscope to take an interesting pattern. Uh, first, the illusions. So, draw a picture uh, of this in your mind. Ready? So, devout religious folks gathered around a holy spot. And they're grumbling. Grumbling. That's a specific word in this story. They're not whining. They're not being pissy. They're not angry. They're not confused. They're not inquisitive or indignant. They're not arguing or in disagreement. The word most translations of this story use is grumbling. It's a specific word for, from another time in the long story of Jesus's family of origin. From very early on, like, God, first, first act, really. His ancestors uh, were, were freed from the evil Egyptian empire following this revolutionary leader named Moishi, or Moses. They go out into the desert, and they're not getting to the comfortable place they were expecting yet. 
Uh, so they set up these big campsites around a sacred tent where they worshipped the divine. And everyone sets up their tents around that big, special, sacred tent. And Spirit would speak to Moses there in the middle of them. And do you know what they did, these religious folks, around that religious spot? They, that's right, they grumbled. (laughs) This isn't the good shit we were promised. What are we even doing here? This isn't how the story is supposed to go. Uh, So slide the tape now back to Jesus. He's leading a revolutionary movement out of empire, hinting that through him, Spirit is doing something profound, about to launch another liberation against another echo of Egypt, with loads of echoes, yep, all throughout of that old Moses revolution. But he isn't just going from house to house of the you know, the well-to-do's, the fancy pants, the well-connected, the big deals. He's with the economically marginalized, the abandoned sick, consigned to die in the desert, the cripples, those hustling to get by, women that patriarchy consigns to the exile of prostitution, foreigners, half-bloods, the castrated and the intersex. He's setting up his tent right there with them. This is where the divine revolution begins and continues and works. With getting a little boozy and a little stuffed with all the people we were told were keeping us from the revolution. Uh, It's beginning with the people who are an existential threat to our religion, say these guys, these grumblers. They're an existential threat to our neighborhood, to the stability of our families, to the stability of our commitments to one another and our community. We can't afford to let these filthy sons of bitches in. These impure bastards, the logic went. We're keeping the divine from turning things around for us. Maybe if we just kicked out enough of the right people, or wrong people, um, then maybe Creator would make Israel great again. Hmm. No wonder the religious people all around him are grumbling. This isn't the revolution we were promised. What the F, God? Now, we can hit pause and say, hey, at this point, that kind of echo the old story, the origin story, it's an indictment enough. Like, right there, that preaches. It's bracing. It's terrifying. It's provocative as hell seen as hell, that Jesus is being put in the place in this story of the divine meeting tent, feasting with the impure in the place of purity surrounded by grumblers. Come on. Right? (laughs) I almost want the story to end there. Uh, Jesus smirking at the camera with one arm around an intersex eunuch and a glass of wine in his other hand in a movie. Uh, the entire rest of the frame would flicker around him quickly, a couple times, revealing the holiest middle of the holiest tents of the holy people. And he and this intersex person sitting on the Ark of the Covenant. And then flickering back 
to him surrounded by grumblers. This is the deeper reality of how Creator liberates creation into a deeper belonging together. But it doesn't stop there. He tells these two stories to the grumblers. Two stories to explain what he sees happening, what his intentions are. Maybe to kind of explain what he's doing. Uh, One is about a shepherd recklessly leaving 99 contained sheep to find a lost one, and then partying about it. And the other story, yeah, a woman with 10 coins partying after devoutly searching throughout the night to find just one that she'd lost. So, the typical reading of, of this, of these parables, is uh, it's all right to start. Kind of. Uh, the idea being that the questionable characters Jesus, Jesus is feasting with are the sinners that should repent, uh, the sheep or coin that are lost. And so all the, that makes all the religious do-gooders, the grumbling Pharisees, they're the 99 sheep. They're the righteous ones in the conventional telling of the story. They're the nine coins that the woman already has. So the idea is, in this conventional hearing of the story, it's totally okay for us to go out and find the sinners and get them to bring them in so they can be twice the sons of bitches we are. <laughs> um, get them to repent and turn from their shiftiness that had uh, rightly consigned them to that damned existence. So, you know, parting with the sinners was okay as long as it's kind of a secret covert rescue mission with nothing good there and everything good here. As long as it was a way to bring them back to all the squeaky clean folk. Hmm. 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 Yeah, it just feels, doesn't feel good enough, does it? Let's look at these stories a little more closely. There's, there's just a few loose strands that make me unsure if that being the main way we're meant to read it. It might be the first way we're meant to hear it. I don't think it's the last way we're meant to hear it. To begin, Jesus dependably tells parables that invert the conventional categories of reality. Holiness, power, strength, purity, family, justice, belonging, life, death, gender, ethnicity. Jesus' teachings, his stories, his behavior, exposed and explored and challenged all these ways of mapping uh, our our world. Um, And not like just to break crap apart as an end unto itself. It wasn't iconoclasm for its own sake. That's just edgelordy and boring. No. To make real homecoming possible. That's why Jesus is uh, shining a light in the darkness here. Um, In fact, yeah, that's actually a good phrase for it. Like those videos uh, taken at night of a nuclear bomb going off. Have you seen it? Uh, and it makes everything look as bright as noonday. That's what Jesus is doing, shining a light in the darkness that fierce. It feels like the earth is pointing in a different direction for a few minutes. <laughs> like, that's the kind of thing he's trying to do, not just tip crap over for fun. So I'd say the typical rescue, that, that's, that seems to be what we should look for that kind of inversion in these stories and our interpretation of them. So I'd say the typical rescue mission reading of the parables 
it doesn't it doesn't challenge reality at all. It doesn't invert the alienating power structures that we think keep us safe. At one level, the conventional reading does reveal, I think, something pretty good, the logic of incarnation, of venturing from sterile security to vulnerable relationship for the sake of the other and a deeper belonging. I love it. Yes. Amen. Good. <laughs> but, hmm. It still it just it doesn't carry the payload of inversion that seems to be baked into most Jesus stories. I wonder if there's a second reading that might have that. Maybe we're meant to initially hear the conventional way, the typical reading, but I think we're meant to go deeper, experience that inversion. And maybe, maybe the two readings feed each other generatively. So another loose strand. The numbers are totally backwards from the rest of the logic of the typical reading. See, the usual reading, the usual folks reading this assume there's very few folks who are righteous. And most of the world is lost, is damned. So it should be the story of a shepherd leaving one found sheep to find 99 more. Or the woman with one coin trying to find nine missing quid. It's not the math Jesus tells. Numerically, we would expect the Pharisees to count themselves as the tiny remnant that are definitely, definitely, definitely found amid a sea of forsaken pagans. That's what we'd expect. But it's not what we hear. Would the religious leaders have caught on? Would they have noticed this loose thread? And you're narrowing in on it. Hmm. You know, most of the Jesus stories are vast crowds getting on board with Jesus because the Jesus movement was contagious. But it's a select few gatekeepers that grumble and freak the hell out. Numerically, again, he's got 99 sheep and a Pharisee ain't one of them. Are the Pharisees the lost sheep? Hmm. Then there's this loose thread that the Jesus belonging that the religious leaders are freaking out about, the stories that they don't really suggest, the sinners, the stories that Jesus tells don't suggest the sinners, quote-unquote, changed all this about themselves uh, to share table with Jesus. Like, it's not a story of repentance, but foundness and belonging. Um, certainly, they were, shall we say, Jesus positive, and there's a certain way in which to be part of a movement, you change things to be part of that movement, and to have that new kind of belonging. They're on board with that. But there's not like the sense that they're doing anything to get in. The kind of belonging that, they're freak, that the gatekeepers are freaking out about is just Jesus withing, <laughs> being with them, a togetherness. But the stories that Jesus is telling is about something outside of belonging, changing heart and mind and life, and the cosmos shuddering in celebration about it. It's just different. 
it's something that almost hasn't happened yet. <laughs> uh, there's a nuanced, this is a nuanced thing to pick at. So let me try, I'll try one more way. Um, the quote unquote sinners are already in when the Pharisees gather around and start grumbling. Um, so the, the intersex and the leper and the prostitute might be the 99. They might be a better fit for the 99 than the lost sheep. They're already at the table with Jesus. It's the religious leaders and gatekeepers that are powdering, pouting so vigorously. Their disapproval of the 99 are what make them the lost one. Like Rob Bell says, we're already at the party. It's our own shit that makes us decide to be lost. Our judgment and disgust are what make us lost, not our disgustingness or our judgedness. Whatever it is about you or your neighbor or your kid that makes it not, them not seem to belong, it's bullshit. The Jesus belonging begins with that. And letting go of disgust and judgment is the gate. It's our own commitment to alienating and shaming, to judging and disgusting that creates lostness. The invitation is for us to let spirit keep the gates, not us, to join in the celebration of our own foundness, one another's foundness, as we leave judgment behind. May your week ahead be filled with curiosity and wonder, gratitude and laughter, courage and presence. And may the peace of Christ be with you. Thank you.